0: What's up, everybody? We're back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. Unfortunately, my audio in this podcast is not the best, but I hope that you stick around and listen because at DeerPoint Macro, uh, joined me, and he brought some great, 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 great points about the overall macro environment, and his audio is actually great. So. You might not be able to hear some of the questions that I ask him, or anything like that, or it'll be skippy, what have you. But when Deer Point starts getting through the rip, uh, you know he brings some great stuff as always. And you know the disclaimer: everything you hear in this podcast is not financial advice. It is strictly opinion of myself, Brandon, and uh, any guests that I may have, and it should not be taken as financial advice. All right. Well, now let's get into the rip. What's up everybody? We're back with, an, with another edition of the say scary stock talk, talk podcast. And I'm here with a special guest at est at Deerpoint Mac. If you're following me on Twitter at @green at @greencampy, uh you've known known him from our two spaces where we get into get into stock and macro. And uh, yeah, he's always uh, you know, generous with his time there and there and they easily join in. So, um Deerpoint, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Brandon. How are you
0: doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. All right, well, um, let's get into let's get into it. So, a little bit about you, about your background. Um, I see on your on your uh, Twitter that you're from North Carolina, and you got uh, a lot of charts that you're great charts that you put out, uh, mostly in in and orange. So I'm assuming a Clemson fan, um, but yeah, let's uh, let's to your background and uh, just a little bit about little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I work within the banking industry. I worked um, for some banks up in Canada, also. Um, it's mostly on the capital markets side, um, and so the uh, now kind of the area in which I'm focusing is kind of more on the macroeconomic side, um, really diving into the plumbing of monetary policy and the effect that that has. On let's say overall markets, whether they be traditional markets or even like some of the decentralized markets, and that's the way that I have um, been been focusing a lot of my research on lately.
0: I got it. yeah. You put out some uh, some uh, some great. I mentioned earlier. And, uh, yeah, I guess one of my questions is going to be to uh, see a lot. You you put a lot, put a lot of uh, graphs, mostly comparing the United States, United States, and Canada. I think that's because you've worked in both in both the countries.
1: Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. Um what I've noticed uh that's very interesting about Canada is um when I was in Canada, people always kind of try to make this direct comparison to the uh to the United States. And so um obviously that's very difficult to do, you know, with the US, let's say being you know, roughly 20 times the size of Canada in terms of like actual GDP. Um, but it, it's just kind of looking at the difference between the two economies because those economies are, let's say, so interlinked. Um, and so that's kind of the reason that I've been focusing on Canada and obviously the real estate market um, and everything going on up there. There's um, kind of a lot to unpack there. So that's kind of where I've been comparing the two Um nations broadly because you know um for example if you point out the debt situation in canada people will be like well look at the united states um but you know it's not really an apples to apples comparison
0: yeah for sure it, it seems like canada kind of occurs themselves to us but uh, to, uh united states but n- not really the other way around but uh i guess that's just kind of kind of the reality, reality of the situation here. um um but yeah, there's some uh, big news that's come out recently, as, far as uh, I guess the U.S. U.S. economy has has gone. Um, so, um, so last, week, the Fed reported CPI numbers of uh, the month of February for for Euro. Um, they reported it as reported it as seven point nine. Uh, I believe that's like a forty year forty year high point. Um, so, a couple of questions I have about this. So, what do you think? Do you think about just number representing inflation? in the United States so they kind of just report port one but they give you full breakdown on on various items um and then what do you think of like think of like the that number and how much do you uh kind of take into account there when there when you're uh, looking at all macro environment
1: yeah so for me looking at the inflation numbers um is sometimes a little bit difficult um just because there's so many like exogenous variables that are going on um right now. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you have a lot of supply chain issues. Um, There's a lot of things that are, let's say, maybe adding more or less to an inflated CPI number. Um, I I do know um, the US, uh, the inflation number is at a 40 year high. Um, And if you look at like the contributions to headline inflation on a year over year basis, um, a lot of that's coming uh, actually from the, the energy side. Um, And then you have uh, food and you have, you know, some goods, um, excluding food and energy uh, within that. Uh, And and so kind of what you're saying is when you're actually looking at a lot of those, um, you know, uh, big contributors to the inflation number, um, it's coming on the back of things that are either imported or um, things that, you know, had... Many years of underinvestment, in this case, oil in um, and, and energy sector where, you know, there's been massive underinvestment, whether you're looking at the OPEC side or actually domestically um, that have kind of um, added to increased inflation uh one other thing that i was looking at is kind of the the rate of growth um in, in terms of um inflation and broadly um, i mean the rate of growth is is slowing more or less but um obviously yeah i know people are kind of worried about that's uh, 7.9 um percent number but i i think in the grand scheme of things um it's things that are more outside of the feds control. So what I mean by that is I, I wouldn't say that this is much uh quote unquote because of, of, of you know, the money printer go burr kind of thing. Uh, I, I think that it, it's other exogenous factors that are contributing to that high inflation number.
0: So, uh, what kind of, uh, I guess, I guess exogenous fact are you talking about, are you talking mostly, mostly about like, you know, going on between Russia and Ukraine and that, uh, you know that was something that um, you know you know the uh, um I think uh, President or White House Secretary Jaski uh, came out came out and said said and that um um uh, also came out and said in an interview that you that um you know a big por- portion of it is the war between Ukraine between Ukraine Shaw although um you know the CPI numbers that came out last last month were for the month of February. February and uh or didn't necessarily start at that, start at that time, um so I mean so I mean, I kind of understand the, you know the dependence dependence on like oils um that the United States has on the uh on, on, on Ukraine and russia, but uh like what, what other i guess factors are are, are, there, are there that you're talking about that you think are kind of contributing to um this massive inflation that we're seeing that we're seeing yeah,
1: so kind of what i um was meaning when we're talking about exogenous factors is obviously if you go back to the beginning of 2020, when this whole COVID thing, uh, shut down, uh, or when, you know, COVID caused all these shutdowns globally, domestically, um, the, the way that our supply chain logistics are, are set up is it's called just in time manufacturing. And, and basically what that means is, you know, um, companies keep very limited amounts of inventory, um, like actually at hand, um, and, you know, once orders come through, they get, um, you know, the things that they need to put that order together. So hence the the reason just in time, so they're not sitting on massive amounts of inventory. So when you shut down the entire global economy, you have this issue um, where now complete supply chains are shut down. Um, in a lot of places, whether you're in Canada, for example, or Europe or, or the United States, the government came out and, and they handed you know, did transfer payments. Um, So people got the, you know, $2,000. So obviously now consumers feel wealthier because they're getting these kind of, um, you know, these STEMI checks from the government. So obviously people want to consume more. Um, People were paying down debt, Um, but there wasn't supply chains open to allow for people to really be able to have that kind of consumption. And so what you get basically is you get a leftward shift in supply, which basically pushes the price level up. Um, uh, and you have this rightward shift in, in demand, which is, you know, people wanting to consume more. And so, you know, the whole equilibrium model gets thrown out of whack um, because there's a big increase in the, you know, uh, people's um, want of consumption. And there's, you know, a a massive decrease. And on the supply side for those um, suppliers to really be able to go about supplying um, the materials that are needed. Um, And then now, after you get through all of that, you still had, you know, a a massive, um, you know, I would say supply chain crunch that they're still trying to work through, where now commodities have gone up. um, And they're really trying to, I think, create some sort of demand destruction, in the sense that you know, suppliers might not want to take on those um, increased variable costs, so they might um, you know look for substitutes if they can, or or if not, um, it would just try to maybe scare off the demand side where consumers are going to say, you know what. Um, you know, X thing that I want to buy is now way above the price level that I think I'm comfortable paying for it, and that's where you kind of hopefully get that demand destruction. But that's where I think most of this um, this inflation is coming from.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I took that as well. Um, you know, I think the the money money print had has to do with it. So I disagree with you there slightly. Uh, but of course, you 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 know, your experience you've you've been doing this for quite a long time compared to me. Uh, just kind of looking into looking into a side thing is something that I enjoy um and so I I guess I, I guess along those lines i you know we, we've we been in this COVID kind of weird situation for two years now um you um, think that there's going to be I, I guess uh I I know this is kind of a tough prediction but but um you know is there signs signs um that you can tell supply chain is kind of uh you know getting a little bit better and uh uh you know maybe Things in specific, specific industries, for example, you know the semiconductors or, or chips or something like that. Um, you know, it seems like in the car in car market, car market or, and uh, like that, some of these vehicle manufacturers are to try to produce produce their own chips uh, to decrease the to rel- the reliance third parties. Uh, do you see that as kind of a, I guess, a common trend uh, uh, going forward? Or uh, or uh do you still think that, i guess this uh, supply chain chain issue be, um kind, kind of a lingering
1: covid effect for for quite a while well now i i think it was going to get better i mean i was i was pretty optimistic um and there's some things some charts that i threw up that are actually you know uh, brought about by the new york fed and that's the global supply chain pressure index it was starting to fall um, and I think the last reading came out uh, was was February. But now fast forward to where we are today. Um, Korea, um, I think, had like a spike up to 6000 cases. Um, China's starting to see if you be, you know believe those numbers is only see, still 5000 cases. Um, and so now with, you know, China's covid policy, are they going to actually go through with the zero policy again and shut down supply chains and in Shanghai and Hong Kong? Um, and if they do do that then yeah I, I think that again the the inflationary pressures are going to get worse because now one of the largest you know manufacturers and exporters in the world is now shutting down again um and so you know what 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 do you do you know and I, I think that that's where if China actually goes through with those policies and starts shutting down even uh, I, I think they said it was up until the end of March Um if, if it's only that short, I mean, still in a matter of weeks, I mean, you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars that need to be exported uh, because there's demand for those goods. And if those goods aren't being produced, um, I think that, yeah, the, the inflation, um, at least on the supply side, could get much, much worse.
0: Yeah, so I, I think I actually saw today that China is re-shutting down, down or just, uh, you know, highly, highly, highly considering it. So, um, yeah, it definitely seems like a, seems like a word. Um, but, but, you know, because of the effects of, uh, you know, the last pandemic and, uh, you know, the, the lingering, lingering effects we're seeing now to the United States economy and and globally to the economy. Um, you know, it, it, I find it very difficult to think that, uh, you know, uh, you know, that we're going to shut down. Um, but then again, you know, I'm no medical expert or, any or anything like that. And I know that's not your, you know, your, you know, your for But um, do you think that the, the global economy could ba- basically, could we even survive shutting down, like shutting down like that again? Or, um, would something along those lines be pretty catastrophic for, for I guess the, the economy not to get all doom and gloom, doom and gloom. Uh, yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think the, the, the problem here is you get into the, debate of, is is this a harm due to globalization? Because obviously, you know, then you get into kind of the, should we have globalized or should we have stuck to like a protectionist path, you know, where everything, the things that we could make were broadly like, I mean, the U.S. would have the ability to manufacture many things stateside. That's not as much of a, um, you know, a, a problem for us. Um, I mean, we have oil and gas, et cetera. Um, and so then the issue is, do, do you start to see countries maybe shifting away from mass globalization and trying to utilize more resources at home so that you don't have these kind of um you know issues uh if another pandemic breaks out uh, and so maybe we might see a shift more to protectionism um in, in terms of you know making sure that we are not broadly uh, relying as much on outside manufacturing. So if these things happen, you know, the consumer doesn't get hit as hard. But on the backside of that, um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of additional cost increases. Um, And so, therefore, that's where you kind of get into what do you do? Because the consumer obviously wants cheaper goods if things have to be manufactured stateside. Um, Because, you know, of different regulatory regimes, minimum wage, et cetera. Um, Obviously, that could, uh, you know, be other Input costs that are going to raise the price of, um, of you know, of of consumer goods, and, and I, I think that that's um, kind of a, a difficult question to answer.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely a tough one. Um, um, well, let's shift gears. A bit. Uh, so the uh, so the Fed announced uh, that at the, the time of this recording, we're on the sixteenth they announced a rates 25 basis point basis point to 0.25% from zero. Um, so I guess uh, uh, just on a little bit for our audience, like what audience, like what is raising mean? Um, like what, what are the lingering of, and uh, you know, you know, how do you feel this feds decision to vision to rates to five basis points?
1: Yeah, I, I think in the short term um, it, it does have effects. Um, I mean, I think that that's why you're seeing the short end of the curve. Um, talking about the yield curve rise uh, so rapidly. Um, but broadly, I, I don't see this really meaning much in the global sense of, of uh, or like really being more than a nothing burger, right? Because if you look at swap curves, um, they're still completely compressed. So you're, you're not really seeing a, a paradigm where this 25 basis points is really going to mean much in the grand scheme of things. Um, liquidity, I would say, is already relatively tight. If you look at some of the, the consumer metric or like uh, some of the the growth numbers in terms of like commercial and industrial loans. Um But, you know, I, I don't, I think it's nothing really more than a, than just like a, you know, maybe I don't want to say like virtue signaling, but it's, it's basically a nothing burger because I, I don't think the economy is really at the point where we can start raising rates, and I, I think you start to see that the more you look out the medium and long term end of the curve, um, and so yeah, I mean you're you're going to have some short term effects in terms of liquidity effects, but medium and long term, it's, it's the Fed's uh, it's it's beyond their control.
0: Yeah, so um, they they also, also said that they're kind of penciling, penciling in, um, you know, and there's remaining six more six more readings. Uh, to keep increasing rates, uh, increasing rates to about one point nine nine by year's end, um, um, and then they also be more rate hikes going on, going on in three. Um, so from your, from your experience, when the Fed kind of says or says or hints something like this, uh, you know, d- does the market kind of play into this, and does the market, the market, um, I guess, uh, what's a good way to put it? Does the market kind of take into account the rate hike early? Um, and do you even foresee like the fed fa- fed following through with all this?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I think the market is broadly optimistic. I think the feds broadly, and I, I think if you actually listen to Jay Powell and they're like, oh, are we actually going to get seven rate hikes? He's like, uh, you know, like he, he kind of didn't want to be like, yeah, we're doing seven rate hikes because I think Powell knows that we can't get seven rate hikes. Um, so kind of what I think, um, Again, I don't think the conditions are there. Um, I think you get maybe, let's just slice it down the middle and say two. I, I say it's going to be between one and three. So I'll just take the you know, the median and just say it's two here. Um, and I think that that's going to be it. Just because, and Lacey Hunt has pointed this out, if you get three, there's a high, like you know, the yield curve would probably most definitely invert on the twos tens, um, and then you run into like actually you're you're going to have a recession, and not just that, but um, as Lacey Hunt also pointed out, you have the whole issue of, of bank profitability, um, and banks would just be getting um, getting killed there. So I, I don't think you go seven um, again. I think and and Jeff Snyder does a lot of work on that also. So. If you look at where, you know, again, the swap curves are, um, which is basically just like, you know, you take a vanilla like interest rate swap uh, against a you know, a, a similar 10 uh, year uh, U.S. Treasury. Um, you know, those are those have been extremely negative basically since 2008, like persistently negative. Right. Uh, there's some times where they peak up over. But, you know, the market should be theoretically if if this is where we're going. Um, it should no longer be negative. It should start moving upward, but you haven't seen that. You're still seeing this compression on the swap curve market. Um, and then if you go to the euro dollar, uh, the futures curve, I think as of January, um, it was also inverted. So even on the euro dollar, uh, which is basically has nothing to do with the euro, just for people who aren't sure. It, it's just um, dollars that are operating outside of like the, the, U.S. So it's it's things that the Federal Reserve can't really get its hands on. It's you know outside of our control, um, and that curve is already uh, inverted. I like I said, I think up through January, um, and so that's again disagreeing with the seven rate hikes. I, it you know it's it's maybe pricing in one to two, and like I said, you go back to the medium and long end of the curve and how flat it is. Um, yeah, I, I think the market again is is just. Uh it's it's saying you know you can the short end's rising, but the the medium and long end is is so flat because I don't think we we see it going there.
0: Yeah, I mean after the the, the announcement, it seemed like everything kind of was kind of was uh, float around uh, just about even, and then it kind of shot up a little bit towards the end of the day. Um, but uh, yeah, you you've kind of alluded to you know a recession session, and uh, you know it almost seems like. It's inevitable. It's inevitable at this point, at least from my perspective. Um, I guess talk about, talk about your thoughts. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on our Twitter, on our Twitters. Talk about your, your thoughts on, I guess, the impending recession. Do you think that there's going to going to be one? Do you think it's going to be long, uh, uh, big and nasty? Um, you know, how do you think, uh, you know, how do you, th- do you think uh, that this whole situation kind of plays out, plays out?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be long or nasty. I I think maybe you have a if if again if is if we don't get an inversion of the yield curve or you know the Fed doesn't actually end up doing like five rate hikes, uh, but if if we're just you know getting one or or two or three rate hikes, you might have one quarter of, of you know, uh, negative GDP growth. But I, I think after that, yeah, it'll just go back to kind of, um, you know, the, the 2% range, I believe where the, where GDP has been, um, you know, averaging, uh, over, I would say probably the last decade, um, might be a little bit lower than that. i don't have a number in front of me, but let's just call it 2%. I, I think that that's where you'll uh, go back to. So I, I think maybe it's one quarter, um, but yeah, I mean if, if you get um and, and the reason that I say one quarter, because one quarter is not necessarily the definition of a recession, right? So um but like where you're talking like what the NBR considers a recession, like two quarters of negative GDP growth, um, I think you would really only see that if if the Fed did do more than three and just continued on path, then yeah, I think uh growth would, would absolutely uh would, would get obliterated
0: okay so uh, yeah maybe a, a quarter or so, so um you know uh or quote-unquote recession um so you kind of kind of see it as, as more short term i'm not sure i'm not sure i get uh you know i i the way i i view it and um you know i'm i'm obviously in this this field or any field or anything like that it's, it seems to me that it, it, things just keep getting worse um and that at uh the fed solution or shin or the fed doesn't really know how to combat it and uh that you know all this inflation is kind of you know widening the the wealth and it seems like to me a lot of a lot of these are paying industries and and small businesses are sort of suffering the lingering of lingering effect for um you know from the covid pandemic um so kind of industries you i i mean i i mean i am not sure if us might be your specialty but it's kind of my it's kind of my uh, just initial thought here is like here is like what what industries are going to be kind of hit the hard hit the hardest and uh do you think like you know during this recession some of them will still kind of uh, have, uh you know skyrocket do you think uh you know i guess the housing bubble will kind of pop or do you think um you know everything along those lines will still keep going up um that and like i guess like i guess specifically the auto the two that that really come to mind
1: Uh, so for the housing, I, I think housing's already started to cool. Um, it, it has peaked, um, like if you look at the MBA, which is the mortgage, bankage, uh, mortgage Bankers Association, sorry. They have a mortgage purchaser index. And I did have that stat. Just give me one second. I'm trying to get that up. Um, I, I do know that this has changed. This was last week, so I, I need to revise this. But I, I know that the the index fell um, around like almost 2%. Um, and, and that came in at, I think 246. I think the one that came out this week was at like 262. So the, the purchaser index has started to, to rise slightly. Um, but on the back of, you know, rising mortgage rates, uh, which at that time, um, were I think like 4.2%, um, you had already started to see a, a real, um, let's say deflating and, you know, the, the mortgage purchasers index. Um, I I think refinancing fell about 16% um, and mortgage loan application volume fell like, I I think roughly like 13% also. So you were already kind of seeing this um, easing on the mortgage side. Um, But um, if, if you were to get, um, let's say a recession, um, obviously it would hurt. Uh, the home builders, um, obviously, anything that's going to be... Uh, it, it depends on how long they're financing. If you get an inversion, then obviously, uh, you know, borrowing on the long end would actually be better than borrowing on the short end. So, you know, in, in that circumstance, they would be better off. Um, uh, so, like, more capex intensive things would be better off if you got an inversion. Um, but um, I think if, if, if we go through with my inversion narrative... Um, financials would get hit the hardest. And um, there's a a reason behind that. Um, Again, I I would defer to Lacey Hunt, much smarter than I am, but um, banks are basically borrowing short and they're lending long. And so if you get that inversion um, because they're borrowing short and lending long, um, they they would get absolutely slapped uh, in terms of profitability. Um, And so like industries like that, I think would, would suffer, Um, Again, if you had that inversion, which is kind of the paradigm that I see, um, you will um, you would uh, like anything CapEx intensive would probably end up being okay. Um, You might have some squeezes and profitability. But um, overall, I think anything CapEx intensive would would do uh, do better uh, when you get inversion, because just obviously with the two year um being higher than the 10 for example um that makes those um those uh, long uh, long end or medium end uh, uh points of the curve cheaper in terms of actual like borrowing costs so um yeah i, I would stay away probably broadly if i was looking at industries from the financials
0: gotcha yeah well, let's shift gears a little bit uh, more towards, uh, I guess, the strength of the U.S. dollar. Um, so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very public that I'm, you know, a Bitcoin guy, and uh, you know, I believe in that, but I still think that we're kind of a ways away from moving away from the U.S. from the U.S. dollar. But uh, in my opinion, we've kind of seen a few cracks in the armor. Uh, uh you know, fairly recent, um. But I believe for an opinion, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, um, you know, some things that have come to come to mind are uh, some oil deals, deals that China and Russia have made have been in various currencies outside of the U.S. dollar. Uh, I said about this um, um, earlier today. Um, but is this something that I that you about the U S dollar going, going forward, or is it kind of a, a nothing, a nothing burger as well. Um, and, uh, you know, how do you feel about the overall strength of the, of the U S or as, uh, I guess, kind of, I guess, kind of like the global reserve status, uh, going forward going forward. Yeah, I
1: think the U S dollar is going to continue its strength. And I, I think that's just because if you look again, um, around the world, um, You know, I like to say the U.S. is the cleanest cleanest, dirty shirt in the basket, right? Um, And so I think that, um, you know, if you look around the world, obviously the U.S. has the the best outlook. And so therefore, I think a lot of other investors see that. So the U.S. is always going to kind of be that flight to safety. Um, And I I think that the U.S. dollar will probably continue to catch a bid. I know now there's the Juan Real thing going on broadly um now i know that the one is you know under a basket um and instead of just being completely pegged to the dollar but still you know the the strength of the dollar is extremely important um to china domestically um you know maybe some exports and things like that uh, the dollar doesn't play as much of a significant role but what's very interesting is if you actually look um At that basket, um, I I think the Ranimbi's lost like 10% of its value against that basket. Um, And so, you know, again, um, even Saudi Arabia, which again is broadly pegged to the dollar, um, you know, I I think, again, that's a a big nothing burger because Saudi Arabia produces absolutely nothing besides oil. Um, You know, 80% of their food exports um, or 80% of their food imports, sorry, come from the U.S., Um, and so like, I I don't really see, um, the benefit to Saudi Arabia for moving away from that, except maybe in some, you know, manufacturing, uh, items. But again, I don't think, um, you know, if, if still, if Saudi Arabia or China wants to, uh, transact, let's say, you know, mostly on the global, uh, um, global economic scale, um, it has to be done in dollars, right? Like even if. Uh, you know, um, and this goes kind of the Brent Johnson's point, but you know, if China wants uh, steel from Australia, they have to do that transaction in dollars, right? So, like, um, or if uh, if um, Saudi Arabia wants to buy, um, you know, coffee from Brazil, uh, even though I mean they have Ethiopia and Yemen there, but just as an example, um, Saudi Arabia has to buy that coffee from Brazil in dollars. So. Yeah, I think the dollar's dominance is still going to be completely important. And like I said, on the back end of global uncertainty, I think uh, the dollar will again be seen as, seen as a safe haven.
0: So, um, um, I guess I, yeah, I, I, I hear you at that point. Like, it take a lot to kind of move away, kind of move away from the dollar. Uh, at least with things are the way things are set up right now, um. um but, uh, you know, a lot of these countries, um, you know, obviously not the, the big, big players, the players that you mentioned, uh, you know, like China, or China, or Russia, maybe, maybe smaller ones, um, you know, like, you know, like else comes to mind. And Ukraine and Mexico recently made uh, uh, Bitcoin legal tenant in a, a small city in, in Switzerland. Um you know, as, you know, as somebody is like kind of a, an an outsider from from the Bitcoin space looking in, do you take any you know significant you know significant, at, um, or do you think that you know a country that's like a ma- that's like a major exporter, you know X Y or Z is going to need to make it um, um, where that they'll only do deals in in certain you know in Bitcoin for example, um, or do you still still think that? you know, the exchange exchange mediums is a long time in order to to move away from um, the U.S. dollar if if that ever happens.
1: Yeah, I think it, I mean, like what is a long time, right? But like the the next 10 or 15 years, I think let's just say broadly, um, it would still be the U.S. dollar Um, just because, you know, even if you wanted to shift to something else, uh, even without the Bitcoin, uh, narrative. I mean, what currency do you use, right? The Euro, probably not. Um, the Renumbi, well, no. Um, you know, and so like those those are kind of like, I mean, the broadly the the currencies that would probably have the highest likelihood of being chosen, even the yen, but obviously, I mean Japan's far worse than the US is. Um and so even if you start to get to the Bitcoin narrative, the thing is like you know, if you wanted to adopt Bitcoin um, as like a global monetary system, you would have to find a way to like smooth out the volatility um, because, you know, um, as things are now, if if I ship you, um, you know, if I ship you um, some good, um, like a, a commodity and in route, you um, you know, up until a certain point in that journey, I'm responsible for any price fluctuations in the price of that commodity, right? And so, for example, if, you know, the Bitcoin lost value, and then there was some effect on on the price level of that commodity, um, or if, you know, Bitcoin went up in value, or, you know, just because of the implied volatility and the repricing of that good, even if we're just talking about, not even in fiat terms, just in, you know, Bitcoin terms, Um, I I think that that would just cause so much instability and the ability to be able to continue global transactions Um, just because me as the shipper, again, like I was saying, I'm in charge for that, uh, the price fluctuations. And that's why a lot of these commodity companies have uh, like commodity desks that try to hedge that on the back end. So again, like I'm responsible for all that. And I three aces touched on that in that podcast. you know, And so this is where it gets very difficult, um, at least in, in the current term, until there's a way to get the volatility down to like a normal fiat currency, which I think is like three to five percent. Right. So until you see that, um, I, I think that the Bitcoin and the, and the monetary takeover um, is it's, it's kind of a, a difficult path to see as we are today.
0: Yeah, I gotcha. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, I think I think uh, what gets lost in 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 Bitcoin re- realm is, um, you know, everybody kind of sees the the issues, and I think as well, you know, the 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 issues in the monetary system that we're in. Um, you know, obviously it's not it's not per- it's not perfect. Uh, it needs to be you know another you know another out there, and um, I think everybody in the Bitcoin realm, uh, uh, you know, realizes. Uh, you know, how useful, how useful of a tool, how, how powerful the technology is. Um, and, and uh, excited about all the, the news that the news and things like that. um But one thing, one thing I'm always trying to do is talk to, you know, intelligent people, intelligent people uh, who are in the, I guess, broader macro space too, to, to kind of stand a lot of the hurdles um, that, you know, that, that would need to be over, overcome in order that change to be made. Um and you know, I it definitely it definitely it, all points here makes sense too. Um, so um, um, I definitely think that there's 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 path to it, but I think that think that um, we're we're seeing a lot of jump, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the monetary policy, um, you know, that that kind of happened recently with 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 uh, COVID and the massive money printing, um, people are kind of pushing it um a little quicker or a little or a little now um, there's a lot more people interested in the space uh but i still think still think there's still uh a decent ways away um you know whether it's 10 to 15 years or or what uh, but um you know i'm not sure how much this might have accelerated it whether it was like you know Pre thirty years away, and now it's twenty twenty. Um, uh, that's something that's kind of hard to predict. But I think uh, you know, for one, one there's going to be uh, there's a lot of hurt- there's a lot of hurdles, and uh, the people in power now are um, you know going to, going to be resistant to to give it to giving up that power. Um, so yeah, if you got got to kind of anything else to add to that rant rant, uh, feel free.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I realize like some people might be uncomfortable with the way that the monetary system works, um, but I, again, I, I just think that there's a lot of let's say right now headwinds for the replay or like for, for Bitcoin to come in and, and take over. Um, and what's very interesting, and again, Three Aces even touched on that, and he's he's a Bitcoin guy, but. If you overlay, um, and, and obviously correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation, right? But um, if you overlay the, like like Bitcoin um, over, you know, Arc or some other high beta um, um, assets, you find that it actually follows those high beta assets extremely closely. And like I said, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation. But it, it seems that for me, when I'm looking... Um, broadly speaking at the use of Bitcoin, it it seems like it's being used as more of a risk on asset as opposed to like risk off. And I I think that that is what is, is very interesting um, about it because, you know, obviously if something's going to be a store of value, you're going to want it to be risk off like gold. I mean, gold doesn't catch a bit if there's no inflation or if there's no like economic uncertainty. Right. Um, and what was kind of interesting was when Russia, Ukraine happened, um, I, I think Bitcoin fell, if I'm not mistaken, um, at least for like the first, like, you know, couple hours that that was happening. Um, but the futures market on gold, gold rallied, right? So like, this is, this is where it, it gets kind of complex where you see, okay, like people are now using, and yeah, I know people used Bitcoin and stuff to get out of the Ukraine, but like what I'm saying was the market was saying, okay, uh, uh, geopolitical uncertainty rush to gold, Bitcoin sell off. And and that's where I just see like, you know, this is where I guess it's it's a complicated topic. Right. Um, and again, Bitcoin's such a new, um, relatively new um, asset class or just cryptocurrencies in general. I, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot more study that has to go into it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot more that that kind of goes into it as well. As um, well, I think we're, we're we're still very early in this space. Uh, you know, Bitcoin started started in uh, 2008, um, right? Up, um, right up, and so it's uh, you know what, 14 years now almost. Um, um, I believe was the end of or the white paper was published. or was published in the end of 2000. So, um, yeah, I, I still think that there's a long ways to go. Go, but um, I'm I'm very I'm very bullish on, on the space going forward. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, so we'll kind of go a little bit more specific. We've been kind of talking a little bit, bit, more globally. Um, I see your, you do, you do a lot of comparison. We kind of stated earlier between, uh, Canada and the United States. Um, so there's a couple of these charts, the charts that I've seen, that I see you tweeted recently. Um, and I just kind of want to talk about them and see your, see your overall, overall thought. um, so so the first one is more so on the the investments and intellectual, intellectual property uh, between uh, you tweeted you tweeted out March 11th um, and you just kind of said the tale of two economies one values invest investments um, and the other uh, uh, and real I like I said it's like equipment machinery, machinery um, and the other the other is uh, isn't as important and important in residential RE is the way to go and the ratio speaks volumes. So uh, from this, this chart, it looks like the United States uh, is kind of falling over the past, what is what is this, 2016, where uh, Canada is kind of steadily rising, rising um, since time. Uh, how do you view, I guess, this chart and uh, you, you want to break it down for us a bit?
1: Yeah so this is the the ratio between residential investment um and um investment in machinery equipments and intellectual property right so what this is showing is that um the US is falling but that means that the US is investing less in residential uh residential like investments um so that would be you know like one in four, um, like, like, home structures like that. Um, and we're investing more in machinery um, and equipment, intellectual property. Now, on the Canada side, what it's showing is that Canada is not investing in machinery's equipment, or intellectual property, but instead Canada's investing in residential, like, investments. So real estate. And that is, is um, a big issue because real estate doesn't, Add anything productive to the economy, right? Um, um, and that's kind of what this chart is. Chart is
0: like. Okay. Well, um, so yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I guess I, I guess that kind of leads to the reason I, um, you know, we're seeing kind of a big housing boom in in Canada, um, or at least uh, is it safe to assume that that these are kind of correlated? the um you know i i, I where i'm pretty close with some of with some of the canadian boys up there i i record a lot with the canadian Bitcoiners podcast and uh, uh you know i have a connection with with a lot of those guys those guys up and uh they always allude to you know housing being very very unaffordable in you know the big metropolitan metropolitan areas in canada do you think that that's kind of uh, I guess a leading leading cause for that
1: yeah i mean it, it's definitely a leading cause and i i think once and without getting in, in, you know too much into politics but once the current government came in and, and kind of moved away from this investment in the oil and gas industry you had to find something else to pick up the slack for that you know chunk of gdp coming out of the economy and so i think the way that they did that was through real estate um and so you know, instead of investing in things that add to productivity of a nation, um, they've just decided to just, you know, full send it into real estate. Um, and I think that that is, um, you know, definitely adding to the problem because, you know, if you can earn, you know, 30%, you know, I, I mean, like I think the last two years, if I'm not correct, I would have to ask Abe, he would be the guy. On that. but I, I think over the last two years, you know, like uh, – real estate at least in Toronto and Vancouver i think's been up between like 19 and 30% year over year so like why would you want to invest like if if you're building something especially like um you know um Pre-con, like pre-construction condos, like I mean, that's really the way to to go about it. And condos kind of got hit in the beginning of the pandemic, so they might have not been the best uh, example here. But you know, it, I think that that's where people are just saying, like, this is where we should allocate capital um, because the government's never going to let anything happen to deflate the real estate bubble.
0: Gotcha. All right. So there's one. There's one other that kind of is along those lines um you've kind of alluded to uh you know to this um slightly um, slightly with the last but uh i want to talk about your, your chart about um the productivity um productivity gap between the united states and canada um it seems to be gro- growing as well um and uh i got a couple questions on this is how do you how do you get the trick um, um, and, uh, you know, how do you, do you, uh, I guess, how do you view that the labor productivity is going? Do you think that, that, um, you know, the United States has been pretty success- successful, allowing businesses to grow, grow, um, you know, by, by limiting taxation, things like that, and, and giving, and giving more meat to businesses and letting the kind of like the free market play itself out. Um, do you still, still see like the United States being, uh, I guess really good in in that area. And um, do you still see that uh, you know as as wages wages are wages are going to start increase? You know, we're seeing minimum wage increase uh, across the United States to to, to fifteen dollars an hour. You know, are uh, uh, kind of jumping jobs left and right. Do you see that this trend of uh, people kind of will kind of the next bag, still increasing? increasing, um, increasing productivity, or do you, do you still see it kind of? Uh, I guess, st- I guess, stalling out over time.
1: Yeah. So kind of the way that I'm uh, looking at this is when you look at uh, like productivity, basically what it's valuing is how much um, output of goods and services you can get for every one hour of input. basically, Right. So what this is showing is over time, um, the gap in productivity is, um, is, is obviously one of the causes for higher wages between the United States and, and Canada. But, um, we produce roughly $70 of value per hour versus Canada's $50. Um, and that kind of goes back to the investments in, in machinery and equipment. Um, so the more that you invest in machinery and equipment and, and technology,
0: Dear Point, are you there? Think
1: I lost you.
0: Dear Point, you hear me? Dear Point. (sniffs) Mm-mm. <sniffs> Right. I lost you for a second. Can oh, you hear me? Yes. Uh,
1: sorry. yeah, yeah, there's uh we were having like a, a rainstorm down here in the southeast because the internet is kind of out. Am I, am I good now?
0: you're good now. So we were kind of talking about uh the uh you know your part between productivity of the United States and the productivity of Canada. Um, how it's kind of the gaps increasing. Uh, so if you kind of want to dive into that, um, you know, you could just kind of, could just kind of start your point there. Um, it's about your chart that you uh, put out, out, um, their day.
1: Yeah, sorry. So, um, what I was uh, saying on that issue was that, um, you know, basically what this is showing is that the more that you invest in machinery and equipment, the more output, um, you can produce per, um, hour of, of labor, right. Um, and so that makes, you know, productivity more efficient. So the more you invest in machinery and equipment technology, um, the more efficient, um, you have, uh, the more efficient the, the plant or whatever the manufacturer is because they're able to, to, um, you know, produce more output. Um, and so I know that some people will say, well, look at net exports. That was like one of the comments, um, on the, on the, um, on, on the post, but like, you know, um. One, if you look at net exports, especially in in the um, context of uh, of COVID, because net exports in the U.S. have been falling, um, I mean the dollar has been relatively strong, um, extremely, especially in like the past, like let's say, year and a half, um, and so obviously that makes you know U.S. goods more expensive, right? So obviously people are not going to be importing U.S. goods, especially now with the dollar almost at a hundred, right? The DXY. Um, And so also what Milton Friedman said um, is, you know, um, the fewer exports that you have compared to imports, um, it's actually good because it means that your exports are worth more than the imports. So like, if you're running a trade balance, that's actually negative for the economy. So Milton Friedman had this massive uh, like big saying that like the deficit doesn't matter it's government spending. Right. Um, And so, when Also, when you're the reserve currency, um, we, we have to run a deficit um, as the world wants to hold dollar reserves. And the only way to get those dollar reserves is um, basically for us to import goods, pay dollars for that. And that's kind of how you get this whole euro dollar system. But that's kind of what, what I was looking at um, in terms of comparing productivity, um, because yes, Canada does, in, um, does export more than they import. Um, and I, I think they just recently started to run a, a surplus, but, um, again, for a nation that is a reserve currency, we cannot do that, um, because there is a demand for dollars and the only way to get dollars out there is either to import them. Um, and once you saw imports fall off at the beginning of COVID, for example, um, We had to set up swap lines because nations needed dollars. They didn't have enough dollars to meet, you know, whatever liabilities they needed to meet. So we had to set up swap lines where, you know, basically we were lending collateral to these banks in terms of U.S. dollars and they had to pay us back. uh, You know, they had to give us the dollars back plus interest. So um, that's kind of why. The U.S. can never run a, a, a deficit because I know some people will say, well, if we're not exporting as much as we're importing, then are we really that productive? But that's not the way to actually look at the chart. Um, so,
0: yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think uh, I think both of those charts and, and a lot of them that you put out are, are great and great and really, and I know you get a lot of replies and, and, things, and, and things like that from them. So keep up the good work. Um, and then I will wrap it up with one last last question. Um, so are you bullish, bullish or bearish um, on the overall mar- market uh, going forward, I guess, for the, re- for the rest of, the, um, so we got, we got, I guess, three
1: quarters? Yeah, so for me, um, it's it's kind of hard, I guess, that you could say broadly I'm neutral. Um, I, I think that there's going to be areas that are are definitely not going to be as optimistic, um, as other areas. Um, but I, I would say it's, I don't want to lean too far into the bullish direction, but I, I mean, I do think that there are certain opportunities out there, but, um, I mean, broadly, I, I think the, if, from an economic standpoint, I think the economy is going to slow. I don't think we're going to see some massive boom. Um, and so like, in, in maybe those contexts, um, you know, I, I might not be as, as, you know it's, it's bullish so i know it's kind of a, a beat around the bush i i guess the easiest way to say it, I'm, I'm agnostic to it it's just kind of it is what it is Right. i did that um i don't lean too far in one direction except on canada canada i'm pretty bearish
0: <laughs> yeah that makes sense i mean i mean uh yeah all right well well let's wrap it up um thanks for uh coming out and uh time with me and and talk and talking to you know doing this full-on recording um if if everybody listening, uh, if you're if you're not following already, check him out at DeerPoint Deer Point Macro on post a lot of great stuff. Uh, and he also, you know, is kind enough to join me. Me pretty much week at this point every Tuesday night, Tuesday night, i Eastern time uh, at Green Candle IT. We host stock and macro space base. Um, anything else you got going on that going on that you want to shout out? Or I uh, sign us off here.
1: No, no, just basically everything on my Twitter is uh, probably the place to to follow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I think that's it. But uh, again, thank you so much for having me. It was it was great fun. I always enjoy talking with you guys. So um, look forward to doing it uh, again. And obviously Tuesdays we always uh, we always meet up. And uh, the spaces are growing from when we first started. Like you first started those. So that was good. I think uh, yesterday you almost had a hundred people in there. So. Um, you know, it, it's been great fun. I've loved, uh, chatting with you all. So again, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I said, thanks for, jo- thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us Tuesday. And I think, uh, I think, uh, yeah, going to keep those, uh, it's been growing rapidly and it, I think it's a big part of, you know, what, you know, what you and, uh, Bill and, and some of the other guys bring to the table. And so, uh, I learn a lot about every one of those spaces and, uh, yeah. Um, so, that's it for the podcast. Podcast here. I'm Brandon, host of the Sunday Scaries Stock Talk podcast. Um, this re- this recording was uh, Wednesday, but we're going to release everything release everything day. Uh, so we hope everybody's ha- having a good weekend so far. Been safe and safe and having a uh, St. Patrick's Day. Check me out on check me out on It, <laughs> um, um, or anywhere you get uh, you know your podcast, podcast, and just follow me at Twitter. At Green Candle IT, and you'll see everything, everything else that I got going on. All right. Brandon, Brandon and Nick are out. Thanks so much for uh, stopping by and listening to us. Later. later.